Praise the Lord. This morning we want to continue our worship and giving, and we're going to head over to Genesis chapter 12 in verse 2 this morning for our first of a couple scriptures I want to share about giving. If you'd like to give this morning and you want to do it through a check or cash, just put your hand up. We'll get an envelope to you. We've got our app and our website. They've got a mobile giving available too. In Genesis 12 verse 2 this morning as we continue worshiping giving, I was just thinking about the blessing that giving is and how we're blessed so that we can be a blessing. And if we read here in Genesis 12 verse 2, God is talking to Abraham. And he says this to him, I will make you a great nation. This is a promise of God that he has kept for thousands of years now to Abraham and his descendants. He says, I will, I will make you a great nation. We're part of that. I will bless you. And that's good news too, because if God's blessing you, you know you're going to be provided for. You know you're going to have favor. You know that you're going to be a step ahead of the rest of the world. You're going to be protected against uh, the rest of the world. You're going to be in a different position when you're in the blessing of God. And so God says to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make your name great. And then he says this about it, and you shall be a blessing. What we see about this with Abraham is that God promises first to make him blessed. And then he says about it, and you are going to be a blessing. And I'll tell you this, it would be impossible for Abraham to be a blessing to anybody if he was not first himself blessed. And so blessing precedes uh, the blessing that we could give out. Being blessed will precede a giving blessing or, or being a blessing to others. Now I want us to turn over to the New Testament in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to look at verse 3 as we give this morning. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Talking about being blessed. To be a blessing. Ephesians 1, 3, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every Circle that, highlight it, underline it, tell somebody every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So what I see here is that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And so just like how Abraham was blessed by God and then told he would be a blessing to others, I believe that it's true for us today too. Those of us who have received God's blessing in our life is for the purpose, just like Abraham, of being a blessing to the world, being a blessing to the nations. You know, just thinking about the way that this, this works out in life, I know this, God has blessed me, but it's not just so that I, I can enjoy life here. I mean, I'm looking ahead to heaven. I know heaven's going to be better than this life. Can I get an amen about that today? And so I know that. So, so why am I blessed in this life? Well, I believe it's so that I can bless other people and show them the goodness of God. God, I believe, wants to bless others by blessing me. Here's a way to look at it. It's, it's like an electric, uh, an electric conduit. You know, if I plug something into the outlet in my wall, the only way it's getting power is if there's a conduit that's hooked up to the source. I know this, God is the source of all blessing. Do you know that today? God is the source of all blessing. And I've been put here as the conduit. I'm the person that carries the blessing to this world so that people can plug in and obtain that blessing of God. 
And it's not because I've got power. It's not because I've, you know, got blessing in and of myself, but it's because God's blessed me. Hallelujah. And so I know this, if God's blessed you, he wants you to bless others too. And I believe giving is one of the ways we see it in the word. Giving is a way that we can bless other people. I believe that when we give to missionaries, like we heard about Blessman International this morning, they're over in South Africa, blessing that nation, blessing children through programs, blessing adults and people of all ages by preaching and ministering the word. You know, other missionaries we support, even locally. You know, there is a blessing to be done in Jefferson, Iowa. Don't you believe that? There's people in your life that need to experience the goodness and the blessing, the favor of God. And I believe God wants to do it through you. Isn't that good news? And so this morning, I believe as we give, we are taking part in God's act of blessing others in the world. Amen. So I want you to keep that in mind this morning as we pray over this offering, as we give today. We know that it's with purpose. We can do it with cheer, knowing that number one, God's the source and he's not running out anytime soon. And knowing number two, that there's purpose behind giving. It's not just something we do to check a box on our spiritual resume. It's something we do because we believe in the process of blessing this world like God has instructed us in his word to do. Do you believe that today? Amen. Well, let's give in thanks. Let's give in cheer. Let's give to be a blessing this morning. Amen. Father, I thank you this morning that as we give these tithes and offerings, these gifts, that they are out of the blessing that you've provided, Lord. I thank you that you are a blesser. You are one who favors your children. And because we have called on the name of Jesus, it's not in ourselves, but it is in Christ that we have received every spiritual blessing. And so we thank you, Lord, that we've been blessed. And we know that you are the source, you are the provider, and your supply is not running out anytime soon. You are not short on blessings today. You're not lacking on blessings today. And so it's easy for us to give cheerfully and with expectation that our needs will continue to be met. You haven't stopped blessing us yet, Lord, and I know you're not about to. I know that you are faithful to your word to bless us in Christ. And so we thank you for that, and we have expectation that as we give today, it is taking part in this process of being a blessing to others, being a blessing to the world, being a blessing to those who need to hear and see and know you as Lord and blesser and provider. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can be the conduit. We thank you that we can take part in this process of you blessing others and showing them your goodness today. We believe it in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you as you give this morning. I know that he does. I know that he will. He's a faithful God. Amen. And so today we're going to jump right into the word because I know I've got more in my notes than what I'm going to be able to get out. And so I want to go right to the word in John 12 this morning. John 12, and we're going to be starting something new. This isn't a continuation of our last series, Dress Code. Did, did that help anybody? Did you like that last series we did? Praise the Lord. Well, this morning we're kind of going to go a different direction. I'm, I'm still preaching out of the Bible, all right? I'm not going in a way different direction. But we're, we're going to focus less this morning on things that we're putting on. And I want to talk to you about someone who's come and I just want to go ahead and put the put the title up right now the title this morning is our king has come our king has come and the fact that you didn't just shout when I said it means I need to preach it this morning Hell, hallelujah. And I'll tell you what, by the end of this message today, I believe every time we hear our king has come, we're going to be up on our feet shouting and dancing and praising the Lord because it's such good news. 
Such good news. And we're going to start this morning in John 12, looking at the celebration of these words, our King has come. Because in John 12, I love this passage of Scripture. It's actually, it's maybe taking a place in some of my, my top favorite Scriptures. And it's because this is a moment in time where Jesus is really getting the recognition that he's deserving. You know, we just sang about how he's worthy to be exalted and praised and loved. And in this passage of John 12, we see those things being given to Jesus. We see worship of Jesus. We see um, exaltation of Jesus as King. We see acknowledgement of him as Savior and Lord and King of our lives. And so I love this section because um, this is at the beginning of of the week leading up to uh, Easter and his crucifixion and his resurrection and what would really end in a glorious way with Jesus rising from the dead. But of course, we know that he was crucified first. And so this week starts out on one of the best things that has happened in ministry in that Jesus was being recognized as God's son and giving glory as God's son. And so I want to start by reading this and taking a look at what I'm kind of, I'm kind of calling, I call this myself, it helps me remember it, the parade for Jesus, the parade for King Jesus. And sometimes I I say this a lot, you know, I've read scripture and I've just glanced right over things and not really thought about what that really would have been like. But imagine like, the grandest parade you've ever been to, whether that's the bell tower parade or like something else you've probably all seen. Maybe it's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on the TV. I don't know. Imagine the biggest, best parade that you've ever seen in your life. And this is what it would have been like in Jerusalem as Jesus is coming in. I mean, they pulled out all the stops. We talk about palm leaves and I'm going to talk about these just a little bit this morning. We just think, oh yeah, it's just, it's a branch off of a tree. There's nothing that special about that. We're going to see today that pulling out the palm branch was like bringing out the balloons for the parade. I mean, it was a big deal. It was a big celebration. And so we want to pick up in the excitement, in the parade, in the celebration of the king coming into the, into the king city of Jerusalem. Let's read in John 12, verses 12 through 15. It says, the next day, a great multitude. And I circled that because I want a picture. And there were a lot of people here, all right? It was a great multitude had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. And they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, he sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So I want to break down a few of the elements we see in this parade, a few of the things that are significant that that without looking at them, we would just kind of miss and we think, okay, Zion, I don't know who Zion is. Okay, palm branches, that's just a leaf off a tree. Oh, Hosanna, that's a word that I've never used in my vocabulary. What does Hosanna mean? I want to break down a few of these things and then we're going to get into the prophecy about our king coming. And so let's look first at the term Hosanna. We're going to do this quick. I just want to set up a couple of these kind of foundational blocks so that when we read this, we have a better picture of who we're, who, who is being talked to in this prophecy um, and what it means. And so Zion in Hebrews 12, 22, I want you to know this this morning. Zion is referring to the people of God. Zion is talking about the people of God. Now, now, in the Old Testament, when they talked about the city of Zion, the mountain of Zion, it was, it was talking about Israel. It was talking about Jerusalem. It was talking about God's people. Well, in the New Testament, you know this, you and I have become the people of God through Christ. Amen? 
I hope I can get an amen. If you're, if you're not, you want to know you're a person of God in Jesus' name. By his blood, by his life, by his sacrifice, you are the people of God. We're that city on a hill that cannot be dimmed. Amen. We cannot be shaken. We cannot be hidden. Amen. We want to be that people of God, this city on a hill, which is what Zion's referring to. Hebrews 12, verse 22, it says, No, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. This is just a picture of what it's talking about when it says Zion, the Mount of Zion. That's the city of the living God. That's us. We're the city. We're the people. We're the light to the world. We're the, we're the people of Zion. And so when we read in this passage of Scripture, fear not, daughter of Zion, or we could say people of Zion, behold, your king is coming. This is an announcement. Hey, people of God, your king is showing up today. Amen. And that's good news. We need, we need our king. We need our king. We need our lead. We need our, our security. We need the one whose banner we take forward. He is our banner. He is our victory. He is our king. And so we need our king. And this is talking about whose king is coming. That's our king. We're Zion. We're the people of God. Can I get an amen, people of God? Let's look at our next part of this in, in John 12, which is the palms. Now we talk about Palm Sunday. You see we've got some palm leaves up here this morning. What is the big deal with these palm branches? There are three things I want to identify this morning about palms. The first is that they have a, a royal kind of nature in the, in the Hebrew culture. They were a sign of royalty is the first thing about palm branches. The second thing is righteousness was compared with the palm tree. And so we see royalty, we see righteousness. And then the third thing was a signif uh, signifying of victory. Palm branches represented victory. And so three things for you this morning about palm branches. They're royal in nature. They, they are compared with righteousness. And they are signifying victory. Let's look at 1 Kings 6.29. Our first scripture talking about palm branches. The reason we say they're royal in nature is palms were used to decorate the temple of God. Now the temple of God was, was the most holy place in Israel at the time. And so they, they went all out. They gave the best that they had for this temple. I mean, the floor was laid with silver and gold. I mean, they, they went all out. And this is what it says about the temple in 1 Kings 6. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and outer sanctuaries, and carved figures of cherubim, which is a kind of angel, palm trees, and open flowers. And so we probably wouldn't know this because we have, I don't think you've been to the temple that existed in this time. Amen. I haven't been there. So I wouldn't have seen this for myself, but there were palm branches carved all over the temple. That was a signifying of, of royalty, a signifying of holiness. And so this is the first thing we see about palms is they had a royal kind of nature about them. The next scripture I want to look at is Psalm 92 verse 12. 92 verse 12. These three things about palms, they're royal in nature. They're compared with righteousness. In Psalm 92, 12, it says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. Imagine that. God's comparing the righteous person to a palm tree. And that's because palms, they, they looked like they were full of life. They had a fullness about them. They, when they came into fruition, they were flourishing. And that's the kind of life the righteous one is going to experience is a full, flourishing, satisfied kind of life. That's good news for us. Amen. And so when we see palm branches, we're seeing fulfillment. We're seeing righteousness, right standing in God, the blessing of God that comes through righteousness. Another thing that the palms represent. And then the third thing we want to look at this morning with palm branches is in Leviticus. We're going to go to Leviticus 23 verse 40. So we've seen they're royal in nature. They're compared with righteousness. And our final thing, they 
They signified victory. In Leviticus 23, 40, it says, And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. This is talking about establishing the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is something they would do every year to commemorate and remember how God victoriously delivered them from Egypt. And what we see is they would build these, these booths, which they would celebrate in. They would leave their homes and they would build these booths. This is where they would celebrate. And they built these booths out of palms. And so this feast, this celebration that they would have every year, which was all about God's victory over Egypt, was, was signified with palm branches. And so we see here that palm branches, not only do they have a royal nature, not only do they represent righteousness, but also they signify victory. And so even in, in Israel, when kings would win, they would come and they'd wave their palm branches. It was signifying of a victory over the enemies because God originally had the victory over the enemies of Israel in Egypt. Amen. He's a victorious God. And so the third thing we see about palms is they signify victory. And I was just thinking about the significance of a palm. You know, when we look at palms without this understanding of what they represent and what they mean, I might just see some green branches that look kind of nice as a piece of decor. You know what I mean? But, but if we understand the nature of it, I kind of think that palms remind me a lot of the cross. They remind me a lot of what Jesus did on the cross. You know, he was a king hung on a cross. The place where Jesus went to fulfill his greatest act of love and sacrifice was the cross. Our king hung on a cross, amen? And so I see a royalty aspect of the cross. You know, what was once meant for criminals has become a representation of our king. And so a cross to me, it's not this lowly symbol. I'm thinking, praise the Lord that he humbled himself and went to the cross, that he was my king who died for me. The other thing I see, like we said, righteousness, we know that our righteousness was obtained on the cross. Amen. It was his completed work. He, he had the final word. We're righteous in the name of Jesus. And so on the cross, righteousness happened. And then the third thing we see is signifying a victory. Because I know this, when Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead, he defeated death. He had victory over death. The, the worst thing that we could possibly imagine or think of to happen, death. Jesus has beaten it. Jesus has overcome it. Jesus has had victory over it. And so just like how I look at the cross and I'm seeing my king, I'm seeing righteousness, I'm seeing victory. Palm branches would have represented those same kinds of things to Israel. And so do you have a better understanding of palm branches this morning? As we read the story and they're pulling out the palm branches, they're acknowledging Jesus as king. They're acknowledging him as the one who is royal, who's righteous, and is victorious. Let's look at our next part of this, which is Hosanna, the term Hosanna. And, then, and this is what they cried out to him. It says in verse 13, they cried out with their palm branches. They're meeting him. They cry out Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, King of Israel. Hosanna translated means save us. These people in this big parade, they weren't just celebrating and saying, hey, here comes our king. They were saying, save us, Jesus. Save us. We need a savior. And to them, they were probably only thinking of the saving that they needed from the Roman government because the Romans were oppressive. The Romans were keeping them under rule. I mean, when they saw Jesus coming, they were probably hoping he would show up in Pilate's court to like kick Pilate out of there. He obviously went a different way than they thought he would, didn't he? But, but they were crying out, save us. We need salvation. We need a savior. Hosanna, save us. You know, what we see with this term, Hosanna, we have all probably called out on 
Hosanna at some point or another. We've probably all prayed, save me, Jesus. I don't know if you realize that or not, but when we show up and we acknowledge him as king and we say, Jesus, save me, we're just like these people crying out, Hosanna. Of course, we're not just calling out for a physical salvation. We're not just saying, Jesus, save me from this thing that's difficult in my life today. Save me to eternal life. Save me from from death spiritual death save me from separation from you don't we all need a savior amen Amen. and so we see this jesus is identified as savior he came to overcome the power of darkness evil and death and just like they called out on a savior we must call out on our savior too acts 4 verse 12 is just a scripture we can see to reference this acts 4 12 talking about needing a savior it says now nor is there salvation in any other there's no one else that can save us for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved there's only one savior that's ever been or will ever be here and his name is jesus and so we call out hosanna save us jesus just like they did and then the final thing i want us to go back and look at our king because they identify jesus here as our king our king is coming we're you know we're celebrating we're acknowledging him with the palms we're crying out save us king jesus well in zechariah 9 9 this is the prophecy that they were referencing and this is where we talk about jesus coming in on a donkey uh, the colt of a donkey you know in verse 15 it says fear not daughter of zion behold your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt well what it was referencing was this old testament prophecy where the prophet zechariah had talked about how the king would come now in zechariah 9 9 it says rejoice O people of zion hey that's the people of god right that's us amen the people of god rejoice be full of joy celebrate people of god shout in triumph O people of jerusalem look your king is coming to you he is righteous and victorious yet he is humble riding on a donkey riding on a donkey's colt This morning we see this, number one, John 12 fulfills this Old Testament word of prophecy. It's confirming that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the one who would be the King and save us. And so we see this confirmation, but then in this prophecy we we also see, you know, this call for rejoicing and, and this shout of triumph. Man, we ought to be shouting in triumph every time we hear that our King has come. That's what Israel was instructed to do and they were doing it. They had their palm branches. They were, they were calling out Hosanna. I mean, they were rejoicing. They were shouting triumph, victory. Here's our Savior. We ought to be the same way every time we think of our King coming. You know, this parade, it was a big deal because they had waited so long for Jesus to come. I never want to get comfortable with the fact that my King has come. I, and and I'm, I don't mean that like I want to accept it and know Him intimately and like be comfortable with Him. I mean, I don't ever want to get to a place where I don't value how significant it is that my King has come, that my King is present, that my Savior is here. I don't want to get complacent with my King. You know what I mean by that? I, I want to be rejoicing every time I hear my King's come. I want to be shouting in victory, my King is here. I know he's come. I know the work is done. I know that he's been victorious. Let's look at some of the things it says that Jesus is. Righteous, victorious, and humble are the three things listed in Zechariah 9.9. I want to go to uh, Luke 22. Let's go to Luke 22 in verse 69 first to talk about Jesus as righteous. Are you all okay with this this morning? This is all right. We're talking about celebrating our king. Luke 22 verse 69 it says, hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. 
Think about that. Jesus, he has, he has risen from the dead and he is seated at the right hand of God in the power of God. You know, there's two things that I think about when I, when I consider Jesus sitting at the right hand of, of God. The first is this. You have to be right with God to be on his right hand. You know, not just anybody gets to sit on the right hand of God, the creator of heavens and earth. I mean, that's, that's a place of honor. You got to be right with God to be there. Amen. And so we see this. Jesus is there. The second thing is not only is he in God's presence, not only is he in his power, that right hand of God, that's a place of authority. That is a place of, of rulership. That's a place of kingship for Jesus. And so we see not only is he right to be in the presence of God, he's been given the power of God, the authority of God, the right hand of the power of God. Jesus isn't just there. He is in a position of power. And that's good news for you and me because we are seated in heavenly places with him. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 6. What does that mean, Pastor Isaac? It means if you are in Christ, you're no longer just some person that's somewhere on the earth. Spiritually, you are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. And it's not because of what I've done. This is the good news. Our King is righteous. He is righteousness for us. He is righteous for us. What does that mean? Number one, He gets us in the presence of God. Not us. It's not me. It's not my good works. It's it's faith and grace. Amen. It's, it's by faith through grace. It's only by saying, Jesus, I, I want to be in you and I want you to be in me. I am yours. You are mine. That's the only way we get to the right hand of the father with Jesus. And the second thing that's good news about Jesus being righteous and at the right hand of the power of God is that's where we're at, too, which means if Jesus has authority, I've got authority. If, if Jesus has God backing him up, I've got God backing me up. Man, that's good news. Because, you know, we say, I've got God backing me up. Don't let that be a, a, something that is taken cheaply either. Don't get complacent with hearing that either. The God who created everything is backing you up because you are seated with Christ at the right hand. It's good news. Amen. And so our king, he, he has brought us with him into these heavenly places of righteousness and power and authority. And so I know this, my righteousness isn't enough to get me in the door, let alone take a place of favor or honor, but Christ is. And because I'm with him, I'm with him. Amen. Let's look at the next thing about our King Jesus. He is victorious, it says in Zechariah 9.9. If we go to John 16, verse 33 this morning and talk about the victory Jesus has, this is what he says in John 16, verse 33. Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That means Jesus has defeated the powers of this world. It's what he did on the cross. He defeated death. The worst thing that could happen to you in this life, he's overcome it. He rose from the dead by the power of God. And so if he's done that, then he won. And if I'm with him, if I'm with my king, if I'm in the power and the authority and the righteousness and in the victory, then because he's overcome the world, I have peace because I've overcome the world in him. And it's important to make this distinction. When I say things like, I've overcome the world, it's in Him. It's only in Christ. And the second that I stop looking at Christ's victory, and I start looking at my own work and my own victory, I'm no longer an overcomer in the world. It has to be in Him because He's the one with the power to overcome. Amen? He's the one who rose from the dead. And so it's not my power, but it's His power. 
And I thank God that I have a victorious king because I can put my hope, I can put my trust in him and have peace, knowing that he is a victor who's overcome the world. And so I don't know what you need victory over today, but I'll tell you, anything that's bad here is part of the world and he's overcome the world. Amen. Anything here, it's just part of the world. The devil, he's just the God of this world. And so if this world's been overcome, then the God of this world has been overcome. I'll tell you, nothing in this world has anything over you if you're in Christ. And so if you feel like something's over you right now, got victory over you right now, that you're not overcoming in some part of your life right now, get in Christ because that's where you get the victory. Because he's our victorious king. Amen. So that we see his victoriousness, we see his righteousness, and then I want to look last at his humility. I know this, I need the righteousness of Christ, I need the victory of Christ, and I'm thankful for the humility of Christ. Let's look at Philippians 2 verse 7 to see Christ's humility as he came as a humble king. It says in Philippians 2 verse 7, Jesus said, well Paul wrote about Jesus to the church, he said, instead... Jesus, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Now we know Jesus came as a man, but he was alive long before that happened. He has been since the beginning. He was there at the beginning, all right? Now, he humbled himself. This is what happened here. He made himself of no reputation. That's humility. That, that's him choosing to lower status. I mean, he's God alive in heaven at the right hand of the father he's there and he chooses to come and be like us now i don't know about you but if i had a choice i don't think i would be choosing to be like this if i could be like him in fact i know i wouldn't because i've made the choice to not be like me but to instead be like him right i've traded out my old man for the new man in christ I've said, I'm dissatisfied, I'm unfulfilled, I'm not alive the way I'm supposed to be alive with myself, and so I want Christ in me instead. Instead of Isaac in me, I want Christ in me. Amen? And so I know I would have much rather, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, I don't want to go down there. I don't, I don't want to become like a man. But, you know, it wasn't a matter of him doing it because... You know, he cared about the status. It wasn't a matter of him doing it because it was comfortable. We know that because he died on a cross and was beaten. I mean, if it was about comfort, it wouldn't have happened. But it was about love. Love for the world. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus so loved the world that he came and gave. That he sacrificed himself for us. So he made himself of no reputation, humbly taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. And so we see humility of Jesus taking a demotion, if you will. And, and I don't, I don't want to like say, you know, Jesus like lowered himself in position as the son of God. He's still the son of God, but he became as a man. He, he gave up elements of divinity while he was here as a man so that he could get the job done. You know, it talks about that in Hebrews, how he came and he was tempted like us so that we could overcome temptation with him. He came and, and he faced sin and he defeated sin and he came and he faced death and he defeated death so that we could be with him as someone who defeats sin and death. Amen. We're victors in Christ because he was humble. If he hadn't been humble, he wouldn't have been relatable. If he hadn't become like me, I would have no hope that I could be like him. Do you get that this morning? If he had never come and been like a man and, and walked a perfect life as a man, there would have been no way for me to have the life and redemption that I have in Christ. And so I'm grateful that he was a humble king, that he didn't rule with, with you know, a heavy hand. 
an oppressive hand, that he didn't come and just add to the weight, but he took, he took the weight of this world. He took the yoke and made it easy for us. Amen? That's why the word says that his yoke is easy, his burden is light, because he took the heavy yoke and weight of the world, and he gave us an easy one, a graceful one, amen, a loving one. And so we have a humble king in Jesus. You know, I referenced this earlier today, but 1 John four nineteen it says, we love him because he first loved us. Here's something else I see about our king's humility. If he had not chosen to humbly come and love us, loving us was an act of humility. Did you know that? Loving you was an act of humility for Jesus because he was perfect. And I don't know if you've ever gotten into like a disagreement with someone who you thought was maybe less right than you in a moment of time. But usually, like, if I think that I've got it and you're missing it, I'm not coming in, in humility. Usually the flesh, what it wants is for you to come to me and tell me how great and how right I am. And then we can get good together. Then we can get back to loving together. But Christ set the totally opposite way of doing it. He said, you know what? I know I'm perfect and I know they're imperfect, but I love them enough that I'm going to show them love before they deserve it or earn it. And because he's done that, now I'm able to love him. Amen. It was his humility that showed us love, but also it's his humility that enabled us to love him because, you know, like it says here in 1 John 4, we love him because he first loved us. If he hadn't first loved us, I don't know how I could love him today, even though I should. If he hadn't first loved me, I don't know how I would come to love him today. And so it's his humility choosing to love us first that enables us to love him. Are you all all right this morning? You know, we've got a righteous, victorious, humble king who's come. Amen? And so our king has come. Our king has come. That's good news for you and I because we needed a king. We needed someone who was righteous. We needed a savior. We needed Hosanna. We needed a victor to overcome this world. We needed someone humble who would extend love to us. And we got it. We got it. I'll tell you, Jesus coming as our king it's huge. It's worth triumph. It's worth celebration and rejoicing because him coming as a, as a king, it meets all these needs that we had before he came. Before he came into my life, I was searching. I don't know about you. I'm just telling you about me. I was looking. I was looking for righteousness. You know, I just, I want to be right. I want to do right. I want to be a good person. I want to be the right person. I was looking for it on my own and I failed every time. I was looking for victory. Anybody searching for victory? Man, there's always another, you know, the world's going to tell you there's endless battles to fight. And, you know, there probably are. The good news is we've got victory over them. He's already won. That might sound like just kind of a Christianese thing to say, but I'll tell you, when you know Jesus has won, you're not moved. You're not shaken. You are able to be steady and patient with the longevity in mind and just wait for it to happen. You know, that's, that's part of faith. The things that I haven't seen happen yet, but I know that they're done. I know it's taken care of. I know it's happened. Victory in Christ is, is a faith thing. It's believing that he is a victorious king, and so the battle has been won. I needed victory. I wasn't getting it on my own, but I got it in him. And I'll tell you, my testimony, I have seen victory after victory after victory in life, and it wasn't because of me. It wasn't because I figured it out or made it happen. It's because I've got a victorious king who made the right doors open, who brought opportunity that I needed, who provided when I needed provision, who strengthened me when I needed strengthening, the Holy Spirit who comforted me when I needed comforting. I mean, he's been faithful to bring me into victory with him. But it's only in him. It's only by putting faith in Jesus that I'm going to experience this victory. I want to experience the victory. Amen. And that comes with our king. And so our king coming, it means we've got access. 
Before the king came, we didn't have the victor. We didn't have righteousness. And I'm saying, you know, historically speaking, that's true. But it's also true in my life. Before I let Jesus come into my life, before I said, yes, Hosanna, save me. Jesus, be my king, my Lord, my savior. I wasn't experiencing righteousness or victory. I didn't have the love of God working in me like I do. I didn't have love for God because I had not experienced the love of God. But when my king comes into my life, everything changes. Amen. Everything changes. You know, that was something we preached about a while back where Jesus goes, things change. In fact, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to bring that up right now. You know, when Jesus comes, there's power. There's power to change things. I, I don't know if that was a sermon title or just something in a sermon a while back, but where Jesus goes, things change. I think the sermon was called, He is in the house. He is in the house. When Jesus came into houses throughout the New Testament, you know what happened? Demons got cast out. People got healed. People got saved. People got provision. The loaves and fish multiplied. I mean, where Jesus goes, things change because Jesus comes with power. The power of a king. A king who's seated at the right hand of the Father. In power, in authority, in honor. And so where Jesus goes, things change. I have kind of a progression of coming to praise and acknowledge Jesus as king above all kings and Lord above all lords, our single and only savior. Here's the progression. I'll summarize it and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through it piece by piece. The first is that his presence leads to power. And that's what I'm talking about right now. Where Jesus goes, things change. Where Jesus shows up, power shows up. And it, it moves mountains. It heals blind, deaf, broken, hurting. It, it casts out demons. It delivers people from the power of the enemy. So where he goes, things change. And he's in this house today. He's in me today because he's my king and I've received him. I have welcomed him in. And so the presence leads to the power of God on display. The second thing I'm going to talk about is the power leads to preaching the gospel. We see it all through the gospel. Every time the power was on display, people were talking about it. And I believe this is God's plan for us today. He wants to move in our life if we will welcome him in. And when we welcome him in and the power is on display, he's going to get preached about. People are going to hear about what's happening at that church over there because something's happening that people can't do on their own. That's the power of God leading to preaching. His power leads to presence. His presence leads to preaching. Preaching leads to hearing. Preaching leads to hearing. I'll come back to that in a minute. And then finally, hearing leads to believing. Hearing leads to people lining up in a grand parade, welcoming their king into their heart, saying, Jesus, my Savior, Hosanna, come in. Let me wave to you my, my best, my royal things. Let me show you my love and my honor for you, Jesus. This is the progression. Say it again for you. Presence leads to power. Power leads to preaching the gospel. Preaching leads to hearing. And hearing leads to believing. I kind, of, I kind of varied off there when I was talking about power leads to preaching. I want to look at Romans 1, verse 16 this morning. Every time something would happen in the gospel, Jesus would, would well, not every time. Sometimes he told them not to talk about it because they were going to go and tell the, the, the religious leaders and then they wanted to go and take Jesus down. And so there were times where he said, don't go talk about it. Well, they still did it. People still went and talked about the power of God working in their life. Because when things change... I want to share the good news. I mean, when something good happens in your life, don't you want to tell people about it? Yeah, I'll tell you what. When, when my fiance Taylor and I got engaged back in December, I mean, it was like not even, I, I think you did wait until the next morning to post anything, but then it was like <laughs> posts and pictures and all, all the stuff because of the good news, right? 
it finally happened, right? You know, like we want to talk about these good things. It's on social media, every conversation. Did you hear what happened? Did you hear the good news? That's how it ought to be when we get life change in Christ, when the power of God comes in. Did you hear what happened? Did you hear the good news? Did you hear what God did in my life? He changed me. He made me something better. He made me something new. He healed me. He provided for me. I mean, endless testimony could be given about what God's done in our lives. And so power leads to preaching the gospel. The good news. Did you know this? The good news is powerful. In Romans 1 verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel, it says, is the power of God to salvation. Preaching the life that Christ has brought to us, that is the power of salvation. And so when power happens, it's going to lead to preaching. Because, that's, well, that's what it says right here. It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. So we preach the gospel because the gospel is power. Preaching leads to hearing. If we go to Romans 14, <clears throat> verse, uh, I'm sorry, 10, 14. Romans 10, 14. We're going to see that preaching leads to hearing. This is a progression Paul writes to the Romans about the way the gospel goes out. He says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And so in order to hear, it's got to be preached. In order for there to be something to preach, there's got to be power. In order for there to be power, he's got to be present. And so we see the progression. When he shows up, his power starts moving. When his power starts moving, people start talking. People start preaching. When people start talking about God, people hear about God. And when people hear about God in Romans 10, 17, it says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When the word of God, and I'm not just talking, it is the Bible, it is this word, but it's also the word about what God's done. It's the word about what God is doing today. When you hear about what God's doing, it's going to lead people to this. Who is God? Who, who is this man named Jesus who's changing all these people li- people's lives? What's, what's this gospel that they're preaching out there at Abundant Life Ministries or wherever else it's being preached and power's flowing and he's present? It's the power of God. The presence leads to the power. The power leads to preaching and preaching leads to hearing. And then we know this, faith comes by hearing. Belief, trust, confidence in God. It comes by hearing the word. So I don't know about you, but I welcome him in. I want to be rejoicing and triumphing when he's coming in. Because not only does him coming in mean I'm getting access to the power of God, it means I'm getting a message to preach. It means people are about to hear, which means people are about to believe. And if people are believing, I'm fulfilling the great commission, preaching the gospel to every nation and bringing in the harvest. Which means we're getting close to the end, too. And that's good news, because I want to go home. And I'm not talking about my house south of town. I mean heaven. I want to go to heaven. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. Don't you agree? Well, how does, what's going to happen? What has to happen before Jesus comes back? The harvest has to be brought in. The people that are yet to hear, yet to know, yet to believe, they got to come in and receive him. They, they got to pick up their palm branches and welcome him in as Hosanna, King, Lord, and Savior. And when that happens, we get to go home. Amen. We get to go to heaven. And I want to end this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we wrap this up. He's coming again. That's the other thing I wanted to share this morning. 
He has come. Our king has come. And there's a myriad of, of benefits and amazing things that happen because he's come into my life, because he's come to earth. But beyond him having come already and having changed my life already, he's coming again. And I want to share in Matthew, i got a couple verses here. Matthew 24, verse 42. He's coming again. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 42. If you can't get it up there, just look at it in your Bible. I'm going to read it right now. Matthew 24, 42. Jesus is coming again. It says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. We know this. He's coming again. He is coming back. We don't know when. We do know some things about what's going to happen before. Like I shared a minute ago, the harvest is going to come in. The people who are going to come to know him will come to him. And then he's coming back. And so I want to get that harvest in. I want people to hear and know, which means I want his power working in my life. I want to preach the word of God so people will hear and come to know him. You know, it makes me think when I was younger, my dad, he would come home at the same time every night. And I, I started this habit where I would get on the back of a couch. We had this big bay window in our living room. And I would sit on the back of the couch looking out the window like this, just waiting for dad to get home. Because I didn't want to miss him. And I wanted to be ready. I wanted to be the first person that greeted him and saw him. I wanted him to know that I had been watching. Know that I had been waiting. Because I had faith he was coming back. Do you have faith God's coming back? Do you have faith Jesus is coming back? Do you believe that, that he's coming back? Because if you do... I want to encourage you, get watching, get waiting, get ready because he's coming back soon. And I want to be like this, looking for him. That I can, I can say, Lord, I was, I was waiting on you. I was ready for you. You know the parable of, of the talents and the stewards? That's talking about Jesus coming back. It's talking about being a faithful steward. That when he gets back home, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be watching. I want to be expecting. I want to be ready for him to return so that I can, I can be welcomed and I can say, Lord, I'm so glad you're back. Let me pick up my palm branch and wave it at you, Lord. You're back. Hallelujah. I'm celebrating today. I'm rejoicing today. I am shouting in triumph today because we've won. Praise the Lord. He's coming back. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, it talks about that day that he returns. It says, for this we say to you, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, it says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. This is one scripture that talks about him coming back and how it's going to go. He's going to descend from the clouds and the church is going to rise up and meet him. Man, that's going to be a parade day, if you know what I mean. We're going to be crying out, Lord, you are here. King, you have come. Again, this is the day that we're reunited with you in, in being, beyond just spirit. We're with him now in spirit. We're in Christ. But I'll tell you, that day when every single part of me is united with him and I get a glorified body, which is what it's talking about here. You can also find it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 55. That talks about it as well. Just a few scriptures that, that reference his return. His return, he is coming back, and we know that he's coming back. I want to read one more to end, one more scripture to end. I think I want to read, man, it's hard to pick one. Mark 16, verse 15 through 16. I've got four minutes left. Maybe I could read all of them. Mark, let's, let's just do Mark 16, verse 15 through 16. And if you all would play uh, the bridge of worthy, that's where I want us to end this morning. 
Mark 16, verse 15 through 16, it says, And he said to them, these are Jesus' last words. I tell you, when the king is with you, the last thing he said is kind of important. Something you're going to want to pay attention to, don't you think? You're getting your last instructions from your boss before he leaves for a vacation. I'm paying attention. I'm listening. What do you want me to do while you're gone? Let me get it ready while you're gone so when you come back, it's as it's supposed to be. It's in a way that's pleasing to you. That's how we as servants of our King Jesus ought to be. These last words, they are important for us because these are like his, his final instructions before going on a little vacation before he comes back to get us and take us to heaven with him, all right? Let's read this in Mark 16, verse 15 through 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. We know this, we've got a king to believe in. We've got a savior to believe in. We've got Jesus, our Messiah and Christ to believe in. And when we believe in him, we're gonna receive the victory, the righteousness, the life that he came to bring us. It's a time to rejoice and shout in triumph because he is a victor. He is righteous and he's made us righteous with him. I tell you, we've got a reason to celebrate. We've got a reason to shout. We've got a reason to rejoice. And it says, go and tell, go and preach to all the world so that they'll receive it too. Go and share to the world that the King has come, that he's here today, that his power, his victory, his righteousness are present. No more waiting. No more looking. No more searching. No more wanting. No more striving. No more wishing and a hoping and a taking less than what's for you. No more lack. No more death. That's what we've got in Christ. And when he's present, his power's here. When his power's here, we preach the word. When we preach the word, people hear. And when people hear, they believe. Church, stand up with me this morning as we close this service out. I want us to shout in triumph. I want us to exalt him as king, as Lord, as Savior Jesus. That is who you are. This morning, we wave our, our palm branches in the spirit, Lord. You are our king. We recognize you. We honor you. We exalt you. We praise you. We glorify you as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You've overcome all. You've overcome death. You've overcome the world. You've overcome injustice. You've overcome unrighteousness. You've overcome sin. You've overcome. You are a victor, Lord. And we are seated in heavenly places with you. We are in that victory with you this morning because our faith, our trust, our confidence, our hope, it's in you and in nothing else. And so this morning, Lord, we can sing it. Be exalted in my life. Be exalted in the heavens. Lord, you are great and mighty and strong, full of power, worthy of glory. We pray it. We sing it this morning in Jesus' name. Let's sing it. Exalted. Come on, let's sing it. 